Welcome to Crushgasm, the podcast dedicated to the highs and lows of crushes. From their first to their worst, we're going to cover them all with a cascade of characters, including our guest today, someone who likes books with a cocktail, Amanda, a writer, podcaster, cosplayer, and panelist who is here to talk not only about all the creative endeavors she has going on, but also a crush on a character that Comic Alliance named one of the 50 sexiest male characters in comic books. He only hit number four on their list, but I'm sure he's number one on hers, and that's Gambit from X-Men. Amanda, how are you? I am doing great, and you know what? I put him at number four, too. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would need to see the list, because, I mean, I'm I'm sure that I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's like American democracy, where only good decisions were made, (laughs) and number one is going to be an easily identifiable choice, and nothing abhorrent or terrible right <laughs> hey i i mean i just saw it on wikipedia the best mm-hmm. source in the world so i don't know who a number one was but they probably picked like batman or something if it's dick grayson i'm gonna fight someone <laughs> i don't know we'll have to find out. i have a feeling it's dick grayson but that's well, not remy lebeau and that doesn't matter then well he's number one today <laughs> yes he is the first time he's ever been successful in anything. <laughs> so I think everyone's mind kind of instantaneously went to that X-Men animated series from the yes. 90s when I said Gambit. Because for so many, that is when Gambit was like it. Like when you yes. were watching it, you were like, that guy's kind of hot. Uh-huh. And But not you, though. Were you like too young to watch that one? Because you're only a few years younger than me. And even my little brother had watched it, I think. Mm-hmm. So was that just something not on your radar back in the day? Right. Also, thank you for the stab in my heart because my birthday is this weekend. Oh. Uh, that I am a that I'm a smidge. <laughs> I'm getting older. Uh, yeah, X Men was just before my time, um, so I really wasn't as into it as a lot of people were. Not that I don't have immense respect for it, like you know, honor your elders always. But it was just, yeah, it was just before my time enough. And I did Google Comic Alliance's a number one. It is Dick Grayson. I was right. Well, there you go. Okay, I will will accept that he's he's underneath Dick Grayson. That's fine. Yes. So you were just like, not for me, that one. Well, not even not for me. Just like literally I was just too young like the x-men came out before technically before i was born mm-hmm. and then by the time it was doing like resyndication i was a child so no i wasn't super into it um i didn't really get into like comic book stuff until i mean obviously like batman the animated series and stuff like that but um i wouldn't gain a deeper appreciation for it until i was much older in that way you're a little like gambit you're against the grain because your crush started to develop um when you watched x-men evolution you say yes not everybody's a fan of uh what about him on that show in particular made your heart and maybe your hormones start to take notice so x-men evolution came out like at the exact perfect time for me because it was like an angsty Degrassi version of the X-Men where everyone was in school for some reason. Like everyone was in the same high school, except for like the obvious adults. Um, 
In that version of Gambit, he was just a lot more like broody and he was way more of an antagonist. And he was obviously after Rogue, like very clearly after Rogue. X-Men Evolution kind of flips that on his head where he was actually like a pretty neutral character as far as romance. He did a lot of flirting, obviously, because he's Cajun, but he really wasn't going after Rogue. I'm guessing it's because in that version, there's an age gap between them because Rogue is a high school student and he's like an adult. So I'm kind of glad they didn't force that romance because at that point they wouldn't be peers. Oh, it would have been well. Then it would have definitely been like Degrassi. Yeah, I mean, it would that would make it more like Degrassi. It did have some Degrassi moments uh, because Mystique was one of the teachers, but like shape shifted, and it was weird. And that was like also peak. Uh, Mystique was everyone's mom. This show sounds wild. <laughs> X-Men Evolution, no one likes it. Like if you grew up with with the original X-Men, X-Men Evolution is the dumbest show you'll ever watch. If you're like me, where you were born in the 90s and didn't come into comics until like the early 2000s, X-Men Evolution is perfect. It's, it's 16, that horrible Canadian show that no one remembers, and Degrassi mixed together, but with comic book characters. <laughs> Um, you said he's kind of an antagonist, but I know Gambit, like, he has this bad boy, he, mm-hmm. like, mentality, he, but he's also a charmer, mm-hmm. and many refer to him as, like, a tor- tortured soul. Is that mm-hmm. something that has, like, attracted you to him? Yeah, I mean, honestly, depending on who's writing Gambit, he's very, very rarely, like, an out-and-out villain. I would actually say that, like, X-Men has a bad habit of not really having like villains <laughs> everyone's just on this like weird morally gray scale <laughs> like everyone's kind of trash and just some are more <laughs> trash than others um they're basically they're not mutants they're humans in that way <laughs> um yeah you know the real lesson is that everyone is garbage <laughs> That's the real mutant cure, understanding that all of us are trash. Especially with Gambit, he does tend to play both sides of the field a lot, where he will work with the X-Men if needed. Some of the best banter is between like him and Wolverine. Um, or he's a bad boy, he's working with Mystique or with Magneto every once in a while, and he's out to do some world domination. But realistically, he's out for himself most of the time. That's who he's hoping to satisfy and like have money to gamble. So for high school me, very attractive. (laughs) Did like how you feel about him, did anyone in your high school kind of ever emulate that? And you were like, hmm, that person's like Gambit. I like them. I mean, I'd be married, so no. (laughs) (laughs) If that was the case. Yeah, I would have hopped on that like a koala if that was the case. (laughs) No one ever came close though? No. Because I think the attraction with Gambit for me at least, is that he's so unnatural. (laughs) Those red eyes, the weird, frankly stupid as hell power that he has. You like the card tricks? Yeah, the vaguely erotic staff. (laughs) I had to have my husband explain what a staff was today. It's a a hitty stick. So a cane? Yeah, but not always curved. It's it's a large. Think about a broom without the broom part. That's but what you I use said. It belligerent. Yeah, but you use it belligerently. <laughs> Anything about his like Cajun persuasion that got you going too? Because oh my god, yes, boy. yes, the monsieur and everything like that. I f- fudge and loved it. Uh, though I also did love that that was always a point of contention. 
that no one understood what he was saying because his <laughs> accent is always very thick. Well, I mean, but it's still an accent. I mean, I think there's it's always gorgeous. an attraction. There is. Except I actually got to go to New Orleans for the first time in like 2019. And yeah, our Airbnb guy, I didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> he was like an older gentleman and he was like, I wrote you a, a list. And uh, if you want to go to the store, it's down there. So to this day, me and my husband will be like down there. <laughs> It is an unintelligible, thick as mud accent sometimes. Well, uh, like I was saying, you were at an age where like the hormones were coming in. Um, and for me, mm-hmm. there were like zero crushes after about 12 years old that were innocent for me. Like okay. when I had a crush on someone, I was like, we're gonna bang. I was tw- I was like a 12 year old, awkward fat kid. I didn't, I didn't think like Nick Carter was really gonna, from Backstreet Boys was really gonna want, fall for me. But in my head, I was like, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> So, um, when you were like crushing on Gambit, did mm-hmm. you like have adoles- these adolescent dreams of hormonal raging? I don't think I did because, again, the show really framed him as an adult and I wasn't there yet. Now, however, I can see it. I'm willing to buy it. <laughs> but back then, not really. Even though at 12, I was writing fan fiction. Was Gambit in any of those or were you focusing elsewhere? I was focusing on anime boys. Oh, okay. So kind of the foundation of the fanfic there. Mm-hmm. Those anime boys. <coughs> and also around that same time, Kids WB were going like really hard with the comic book content. They were. They it was Batman. amazing. Yeah, they had Batman, Superman. I mean, WB, which is now CW, they still go hard with that stuff. Yeah, um, not all of it's good. Actually, most of it is bad. <laughs> Did you like fuck with any of those shows or were you always like more towards the Marvel universe? You know what? It's weird. I love to say that I'm a Marvel person, mm-hmm. but that's actually pretty recent. Like, I mean, I was an X-Men person. That was about it. I've consistently been a DC person almost all my life. So Marvel has properties that I like, but I don't think I can say I'm a Marvel person. I'm a DC person for sure. Oh. So you're kind of yeah, or, or, or the, the pageant answer I give is DC for the villains, Marvel for the heroes. That's what I say, for sure. I, and it's always the Batman villains. He has, like, the coolest ones. And he's also, like, my least favorite, super, probably, like, of the popular superheroes, my least favorite, because he's just a rich guy. and I'm, like, I think he's actually a villain. Yeah, he's just causing shit, just causing trouble. He really is. And, like, the original storyline with one of his Robins where he, like, murdered their parents so he could make another Robin. Yeah. Shady. Very. Creepy. Was, like, Robin a child that he then took to group? Okay, so the original story was... So, Dick Grayson was the first Robin. Mm-hmm. And his parents were killed in a circus thing or by the Joker or the Penguin, depending on who wrote it. And Batman loved Dick Grayson. Like, this kid is perfect. He's nice. He's kind. He's an acrobat. He knows what he's doing. He can punch good. So in the original storyline for the second Robin, Jason Todd, he was going to be similar to Dick Grayson, another acrobatics kid, another circus kid. But Batman was going to have his parents murdered. So he could take Jason. Mm-hmm. They changed that, obviously, because that's horrible. <laughs> it's a little scandalous. Right. So now Jason Todd was just a kid who, like, stole the tires off the Batmobile. And Batman was like, game, recognize game. And then <laughs> took the kid under his wing. Well, I'm glad he didn't murder. I'm glad they kind of went away from the whole murder a kid's parents to get him. 
That's yeah, awesome. I'm glad that that was not a choice that was made. <laughs> I'm just like sitting here like, what the hell kind of shit they writing? Right. <laughs> so unlike like Spider-Man, who I think has had like 17 people play him in a live action movie since I was a mm-hmm. freshman in high school, Gambit's kind of only been brought to the big screen once in 2009's X. And it was awful. Yeah, it was uh, Taylor Kitsch. Um, yes. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming you did not like that version. <laughs> You know what? I definitely can see where they were going, uh, but but that that's a no from me, dog. Uh, he didn't sound very Cajun. He didn't have the look. I think he threw cards once. Like, I mean, that whole movie is a train wreck. It sounds. I googled it because I was like, I was thinking like, have they ever? And then I looked and I was like, that doesn't look like what I know. Gambit. Have you never seen X Men Origins Wolverine? No. Okay. <laughs> if you want to talk about being disrespectful to your fan base, I don't think there is a more disrespectful movie than X Men Origins Wolverine. Like top disrespect, right there. I think. It, I think it is the most disrespectful movie to its fan base that has ever existed. Those are big words, but I believe it because when I looked at the photo, I was like, who is he supposed to be, you know? Exactly, and I get it. Like, comic book movies to this day have had a hard time embracing their comic book. So I understand not going with like his standard outfit, but he was hardly Cajun. (laughs) He barely used the staff. He threw cards all of one time. Like the CGI to make his eyes red was really, really bad. He also had like no part. Like you really just could have left him out of that movie. He didn't do anything. So what are your thoughts on like, there've been talk for years that Channing Tatum would bring Uh to the big screen. What are your thoughts on him? Like stepping into that role potentially? I think he's too old now. Oh, I know it's been so long. Right, like I think honestly, if he had done it when he first said it, I would have been curious. I think he's too old now. And I've seen Channing Tatum's acting in things. I'm going to try to be polite. I'm not sure he has the um, range of emotion required. He's good at playing. Um, like what The dumb jock. Ron's good at playing. Yes. The dumb jock. <laughs> and that's not what Gambit is. <laughs> he can't say down there. <laughs> yeah. Like, again, maybe if when he started pitching this approximately a thousand years ago, maybe. But now in the year of our lord 2021 i i don't know but also i think that gambit is so comic booky that i don't know if there ever could be like a real life adaptation of him he is so perfectly comic booky mm-hmm. that i'm really not like i can't even think of an actor that i would want in that role like he's this is where i always really wish that these companies would not forget about animation mm-hmm. because I think we've gotten some you know to talk about DC again I think DC has produced some amazing like PG-13 or adult like animated movies of these characters some of the ones that like especially were like really really comic booky and fanciful like we got the best Constantine anything in Justice League Dark which was animated like I really wish that these companies would stop forgetting animation because you can do so much more with that. Because, yeah, like, I cannot think of an actor that I would be like, if they announced a Gambit movie tomorrow, that I'd be like, yes, perfect. 
Like, there's not an actor alive that I can think about it. All of it requires, like, time travel or something. (laughs) Who would you, like, if they had done it maybe in the 90s or the early aughts, is there anybody back then? Oh, man. Maybe, like, Orion (laughs) Philippi or something. (laughs) Right, like, kind of like the brooding bad boy, because I have a really indecent crush on him from Cruel Intentions. I mean, if that movie didn't, like, push you towards puberty, then... That, oh my god. Cruel, but for everyone, it was by panic. It was, that was... was, It was, like, the kiss between Sarah Michelle and Selma Blair. You were just like, That was such a by panic movie. Oh my god. But... Like when he gets out of the pool. And my favorite scene in that movie, it's like when uh, Counting Crows is playing and she's going up the escalator and she sees him in that blue. Yes. That's like one of my favorite colors just because of that moment. Like, okay. So yeah, I I think like Cruel Intentions era Ryan Phillippe. I think he he could do the smolder. He could do the like aloof, charming, like bad boy yeah okay that's but again that requires time travel you can't do it now he's like a 50 year old man we'd have to the blue shirt we'd have to get the rights to that counting crows song somehow work right. that into the movie right we would need bittersweet symphony <laughs> yes. so we have to call the verve which no. are they available they'll probably need the buddy but yeah they, they definitely need the buddy <laughs> so yeah like there's just there's not a modern actor that i can think of that i would trust that role with because I think it's so much more than just the name. Like, <clears throat> in theory, I really do think you could throw anyone in a Wolverine costume and say he's Wolverine. We lucked out with Hugh Jackman, but some people really? say he's like the one of. He always gets on those lists of like the characters mm-hmm. that were most perfectly casted. Actually, no, he was very unpopular when he was first cast. Well, today on the Buzzfeed. Well, yeah, today, but like when he was first cast, it was hilariously a bad decision as far as everyone was concerned why is it because he did that yellow suit mostly because of a very arbitrary and stupid reason uh well i mean that but also hugh jackman's too tall wolverine is always canonically quite short and stocky because that's what wolverines are they're like danny devito really should have jumped on this okay real talk though a danny devito wolverine (laughs) (laughs) sounds like the best movie that never needs to exist (laughs) Somebody out there hear hear our calls. <laughs> right. Like that sounds like the greatest possible movie that should not exist. And he's kind of like he is kind of like a Wolverine. He's like little and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why he was so good as the penguin. Exactly. <laughs> he's already yeah. done that, could do it. Yeah. But uh um, It's always sunny doesn't film that often. So I, okay, but like Danny DeVito is also like very old. He could do it, I believe in him. He's so old though. Like like, X-Men retirement home and he's there. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. Um, (laughs) You know what? One guy does come to mind who possibly could do a gambit. Whoever played um, Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones. I win Rayon. I don't speak Welsh. (laughs) Yeah, whoever that guy is. He's great. He can also do the scary man thing. He's no Ryan Phillippe in Cruel Intent. I mean, he's not. But I mean, I'm just... I'm trying. Yeah, he's definitely no Ryan Phillippe. No, no one is a Ryan Phillippe but Ryan Phillippe. <laughs> no, because what him and Reese Witherspoon had in that was perfect, and it's kind of what you know Gambit and Rogue have. But you said like that relationship wasn't something that piqued your interest when you started watching, because it 
no, it, it wasn't. Um, and I, I do applaud X-Men Evolution for kind of keeping that relationship chaste because, yeah, like it would be what the kids call problematic. Um, but Gambit is usually very much defined by his relationship with Rogue, um, which is weird because typically when you have characters that like people lust over a lot, they comic book creators don't do a lot to marry them off very quickly. But like that's been something that's consistent about his character. And if anything, like that devotion was more attractive. And it's like, wow, he has been going after the same woman for like real life decades in like that comic book franchise. That's really like, that's cool. That's neat. Like not a lot of comic books get to have that. I mean, except for the hella abusive relationship between Cyclops and Jean Grey. <laughs> comic books that be crazy you know <laughs> that's such a sweet understatement so um i was reading your blog amanda actually and you mentioned how animal crossing helped you embrace your gender fluidity yes and i think while that's a term we hear more often now than back in the mm-hmm. day it's still somehow cast as like the other and same with being black mm-hmm. is something like mm-hmm. um i've gone through and being mixed um which i wanted to ask is your love of gambit x-men overall like have any relation to the idea that they were viewed as like the others? You know what? That's actually super interesting. I don't think I made any of those connections at the time uh, because my brain wasn't fully developed and I was a dumb, horny child. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because like now that I have a degree and I've been to therapy, I know like that the X-Men and everything like that was a giant metaphor for like repressed peoples and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So like hindsight, I can probably see my relationship to a lot of these characters more critically. In the moment, I'm not going to give myself enough credit to assume that I was that smart. It was definitely more in like the angsty, hot topic kind of like, I'm different, you know? You know, <laughs> like... Yeah, like, I mean, it was it was still rooted in those very real feelings, mm-hmm. but like not, I'm definitely not going to make any conscious... <laughs> you know leaps that i was really that deep when i was a kid you know writing poetry on zanga i will not give you know 14 15 year old me that much credit i refuse i think that a lot of people would say the same because i noticed a lot of like lgbtq a lot of uh poc fans x-men is huge to them and i think maybe they didn't realize at the time but that probably is maybe why Absolutely. And also, X-Men was one of the first comics that had, like, a bunch of, like, just out queer characters and queer people and, like, mystique that really did embrace this almost, like, weird gender fluidity and almost that could, for some people, be a bit of a trans narrative that, like, she's constantly changing and having to accept her body um, and things like that. So there's definitely a lot of really, really cool metaphors and just blatant storylines, especially in Marvel, about that. That's something that DC has always been a little bit afraid of, which I get because I don't think that they'd handle it well, to be frank. Oh, I don't. They have one bisexual character and he's a disaster. Um, so Who's that? John Constantine. Oh, okay. I'm not like a comic-y person. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, interesting. Yeah, John Constantine is canonically bisexual. Um, and they don't handle that very well. Uh, it's mostly like played for a joke. Mm. Uh, but the cool thing is, is that most bisexuals, me included, are disasters as well. So we don't really care that it's not air quotes great representation 
because it's just real. You get we all have that. Yeah, we all have that messy bi friend who like wakes up in between like a man and a woman and is like, what happened last night? Interesting. Yeah, have you, um, obviously back then, like growing up, there weren't a lot of bi characters. I think slowly there were gay characters, but did mm-hmm. you see anybody that you saw and kind of could connect to at that time? Like, do you remember the first bi character in pop culture that you saw and were like, maybe that's what I am or? I don't really think that I had a bi character that I, you know what? No, I'm lying. It was Yuki Airy in Gravitation. <laughs> He was, he's a bisexual man, and I related to that because he claimed that he was a bit of a 50-50 bisexual. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a liar. He's not. Um, but I had kind of assumed that as well, that I was like a 50-50 bisexual. Uh, I'm also a liar. <laughs> I'm not. Um, calling yourself th- out, calling Yuki out. <laughs> right. Um, so I would probably say Yuki Airy was the first character that was sort of like, okay, you're bi, I get what that means, and you're not just like throwing it on uh, for points because realistically, there weren't that many bi characters in media back then. Mm-hmm. Um, there were characters that we all assumed were bi and were bi coded, and we just sort of accepted, but like there weren't a ton in fiction really. I'm trying to wrap my brain. I don't really, I remember, I can tell you the gay characters <laughs> but i am like hmm. like i know a few bi characters now like maureen and rent comes to mind um and i also ended up relating to her a lot because she's also just a fucking mess <laughs> speaking of mess i don't know if you watch brooklyn 99 but they have a bi character as well now they do like she's kind of a mess too <laughs> yeah um i know like a lot of honestly it's a lot of like gay men and lesbian women get upset about that kind of bi-representation and bi-people are fine with it. Because we usually, well, one, we're just happy to be acknowledged. And two, we typically are disasters. Uh, so it's okay. But yeah, it's a lot of like white knighting from like gay men. It's like, that's not good bi-representation. It's like, you don't talk to us. Why are you? Like, we're just happy to be invited to this part. Right, we're just happy to be acknowledged and not told that this is a phase. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's who you are. Or that I'm doing this for attention, which is my favorite. <laughs> I, I always think that's interesting when people but bi, gay, trans, are like, oh, it's a, like they're doing it for attention. Like, do you think someone would like, it's like hard on people. It's like, why would they choose to be, you know, hated? Or even when it's not hard, <laughs> because I, I, I do struggle with that narrative sometimes that like to be, di- to be queer is to struggle. Mm-hmm. Like I really the struggles that i had were remarkably external they were i figured myself out pretty fast oh that's good <laughs> yeah i mean and i and i acknowledge that there's privilege to that i figured myself out pretty fast the struggle i had was people telling me that's, that i'm wrong yeah that's what i meant like like the pressure yeah. from the world because exactly but like i didn't like i didn't have the like you know, staying up late. And I didn't really experience dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any of those problems. The problems I had were lesbian women telling me that I'm a trap and gay men saying that I poach their boyfriends. Oh, my. The same gay men who are mad about the bi-representation. <laughs> exactly. Like, the same ones that are virtue signaling. Like, we need better representation of these people. It's like, you don't like us. You just yelled at me. 
You just yelled at me and said that I'm doing this for clout. Oh my lord. So this crush on Gambit, we'll get back to him, we'll give him some shine, um, is very much like many of the guest crushes we've had so far. Uh, Demanda, mm-hmm. it was Beauty, it was Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Rod Kim's uh, crush on Katana from Mortal Kombat. Cadence crush on Madonna, which their crushes are still ongoing, as is yours on Gambit. So like 20 years, what is it about this character that he's forever owning a little piece of your heart? I think it's the charm. I think it's that he's just, I mean, I'm going to sound a thousand years old. He's just fucking cool. He's just, he's just a, he's just a cool guy. You know, like, like he's so unnatural and he just saunters up, like throws out a few French pa- phrases. Panties are gone. He's just, he's a cool character. And I think when he's written well, he's really fascinating. Like, all of his like thieves guild stuff and his marriage and courting rogue he has some really really interesting storylines and he plays really well on his own most side characters like that could not survive serialization the way that he did Mm -hmm. but he's really enigmatic and dynamic and can stand on his own I can't think of another like X-Men villain that could really do that in the same way or minor villain because like Mystique, totally. Magneto, absolutely. You're not going to get a full series on the Juggernaut. You're just not. (laughs) No. What what is that going to do? So um, life was almost 99% of my guests so far. We're going to end with some make-believe. If you could hop into the Marvel Universe and kick Rogue out of the way, what do you think your life with Gambit would be like? Um, passionate and brief. Okay. Not gonna give him a lot of time. Well, well, no, no. Brief is that I'm probably gonna end up murdered. Oh. He owes a lot of money to a lot of people, and I am assuming that I don't have any kind of powers or mutations. <laughs> I am just a person. So I'm going to end up fridged, oh. is what I'm assuming. Okay. I'm being realistic. (laughs) Okay. In our make-believe world, you're being real. Yeah. Now, if I had, like, powers or whatever, yeah, whatever. We're going to take over the goddamn world and oust Magneto. That's fine. But, like, me as I currently am with all my chronic health problems and everything, nah, I'm getting fridged. All right. So enough about Gambit and more about you. I want to talk about all the things you have going on. Sure. So being a panelist as well as a cosplayer, how was navigating the past year with little to no conventions in person? Uh, It's been interesting. I've been doing a lot of virtual conventions, uh, which is essentially a lot like this, but I'm in costume from the waist up. Um, it's weird. It's definitely different. Um, when I panel, I love having a crowd and a crowd's energy. And I don't get that virtually. Um, so it's really been difficult uh, for me as a panelist. But I keep doing it because it is like riding a bike. The minute you stop, you will fall off and break a bone or something. Um, I say that I haven't ridden a bicycle <laughs> since I was 12 and broke my wrist. Oh. Yeah, I broke one bone riding a bike and I have not been on since since then. <laughs> I sprained my ankle running after the ice cream man once. It was shred. But I but I got all the way. I hopped all the way there, got the ice cream and hopped all the way back crying. Worth it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I broke my wrist. Um, I went home. It wasn't like an open fracture. It was a hairline. So I didn't get like immediate medical attention because oh. my parents just thought it was sprained. Oh, no. 
And then it didn't get better. And it's like, yeah, that's broken. How like, long until you went to the doctor? I think it was like a day or two, I want to say. Yeah, like it, I, I wasn't neglected, <laughs> but like, you know, there wasn't like bone jutting out of my arm or anything. It just hurt. Mm-hmm. So as far as my parents were concerned, like it was just a bad sprain. And it's like, no, that's that's not that's not normal. That's not how the wrist should look. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I'm definitely... I am looking forward to getting back to in-person if I must admit I am still a little bit afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I definitely I'm looking forward to getting back to conventions as I know them being in person and stuff like that. Like wasn't last year supposed to be I think you mentioned on your blog that it was like your 10th year going to cons. So last year I turned 30. My birthday was on a Saturday. My 30th birthday was on a Saturday. And that was my 10-year anniversary of doing conventions. Or I think it's technically this year. I think it's actually technically this year. I don't remember because time's a myth. Mm -hmm. But, like, I was going to go ham and, like, nothing. It was so devastating in a lot of ways. But, like, it's cool because now I just get to save up these experiences and do them again. Like I am hoping to make some con appearances towards the end of the year. Nothing that I've obviously made any concrete plans about, but that's the tentative plan is re-emerging at the end of the year. <laughs> like from a cocoon. Um, Essentially, yes. Do you have like, have you been one of those cosplayers that have been like working on new looks, keeping them under wraps? Cause you're like, when these cons open up, bitch, it's gonna be on. <laughs> I haven't really. I will. I usually do. If I do a virtual panel, we'll do them in costume. Mm-hmm. But it's been a lot of like closet play. Like I have 90% of it already. I just need to like get a new wig or whatever. Um, so not really, but I have been keeping my list. Basically, like I keep a master cost plan and things just roll over. Mm-hmm. So basically, when I start making the decisions about which cons I'm going to next, is I'll just take that cost plan from like draft and activate it <laughs> do you have a spreadsheet it's not a spreadsheet okay. it's a google doc <laughs> okay that's close close i think everybody yeah. that like i've interviewed that is a creative person has some type of like list like that <laughs> oh we have to yeah. we are i i am a monster when it comes to that kind of stuff i i regret anyone who dates me <laughs> like i am a disaster it's just google docs and sticky notes and folders mm-hmm. so many notes hidden in books so like as, i mean you have other creative endeavors too uh I do. you're the co-host of a podcast unfortunately required reading what prompted you to start yes. that so unfortunately required reading was a podcast that i started with a friend um we're both lapsed english majors mm-hmm. and uh we basically wanted to start taking a look at the books that we read when we were in school and really look at them under a new lens because I know that even though I am a writer, I was a writer back then. I mean, as much as a 15 year old can be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always remember like, I really didn't like reading or I didn't like reading the books I was given in my English classes, which always made me feel sort of inauthentic. Um, but now I have like the verbiage and the terminology to express why I didn't like them as much or maybe my thoughts have changed and I do a lot of those books I do realize that we just weren't mature enough for them there's no way that we could have processed some of these books when we were the age that we were and like now that I'm older it means something totally different to me do you think that 
these lists because it's like we've been reading this requiring the same books for so long Mm -hmm. do you think we need to revamp that the educational system I mean, we need to burn the educational system down to the ground and start anew. I mean, we still, I live in the South. We still teach slavery like it wasn't that bad. Yeah. We still teach the Civil War like it was just a friendly disagreement about states' rights. We need to burn the whole thing down and start over. Isn't it crazy when you get older and you look back and you're like, what the fuck were they teaching us? I mean, it's so weird, especially being African-American. Mm-hmm. Like, I always got that second education. You know, there is a, there's dual consciousness for African-Americans. That is very much true. So I always had that second education, thanks to my parents and my grandparents and my aunts and my uncles. But it was weird because I did have this second education and then I'd come to school and it's like, yeah, you know, the slaves were well taken care of. And it's like, my people were forced on a boat and raped. Whoa. I didn't, I grew up with like just my mom, not my, my dad was around, but not as much. My mom's just um, mm-hmm. white and Spanish. So I didn't get that mm-hmm. second education. And she's, my mother is not someone who likes school. So whatever they were teaching me was they were teaching me. I don't think I learned more until I got a little older and can like go out on my own. So I was like, what the? But I did, I mean, I was smart enough and when we learned it to know like, I don't think you should treat people like that. This doesn't sound right. <laughs> Right, like there's there's this gnawing part of you that's like, I don't feel like we should own other people. Yeah, I remember we learned like uh, we touched on civil rights in fourth grade, and I'm in my class in my town in like '95 or whatever. There was only three black kids. Mm-hmm. Me, well, four if you count me, my brother, but he wasn't in school yet, and two other little black girls. And yeah, it was just a wild a wild time to be alive and to be educated <laughs> in such a small little white town. Right. Yeah. I mean, here in the South, it is hilarious the way that so many parts of history are taught. Um, It is a radically different experience than if you go anywhere else. That sounds Uh, terrifying. It it frankly is. It it really is Orwellian in a lot of ways. Uh, My favorite example of that is there's a children's book called A Birthday Cake for Mr. Washington. Mm Mm-hmm where it's all of Mr. It's all of George Washington's house slaves getting together to bake him a birthday cake because they're so happy to be his slaves and they just want him to celebrate his birthday because he's such a good master. And this is a children's book. This is for children. Oh my God. <laughs> and like, I don't have time to go into how awful that is, <clears throat> but that's what we're teaching our kids is a, uh, these these merry house slaves that just wanted to bake a cake for Mr. Washington. Wasn't he nice for owning human beings? A good noble man. Well, that was a children's book, but like as far as like middle school or high school required reading, is there any book that you've done on the podcast or you're looking to do that has made you look back and think like, why was this on our required reading list? Like your number one, maybe? Um... You know what? I do. It's Watership Down. (laughs) Watership Down is a World War II allegory, uh, but instead of people, uh, the author uses rabbits. (laughs) And it, you laugh. There's some terrifyingly described scenes of chemical warfare and rabbits going to war and beating each other to death. 
and one rabbit starves to death because he gets caught in a trap and there's hallucinations and rabbit hell and a rabbit trickster god in a capricious world and its own weird rabbit language that my English teacher made us all memorize and we would take quizzes in. So I still know this made up rabbit language. Like I don't know human beings names, but I know some of the made up words from this dumb fucking book. Oh my God. This sounds like a horror movie, a horror novel because my rabbits are my favorite animal. Yeah, it's awful. And it's what it's also like high up on that list of like, because there was a famous BBC animated movie of Watership Down. That it's like, oh, look at the bunnies. Oh. And then just like scarring kids because oh, it's terrifying. God. So like being a writer, do you feel like as like you approach reviewing these books now with like, like a little differently? I think yes and no. I think honestly, the biggest thing that has impacted uh, my views of these books is being queer biologically female and being African-American because uh, one of the big things that I've noticed is that I don't have a lot of sympathy for a lot of the main characters in these books anymore because I have little patience for white people problems. <laughs> Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. Well, I actually kind of like Great Gatsby. I'm thinking more like Ethan Frome. Anything written by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Okay. Um, anything written by Jane Austen. Mm. <laughs> Just sort of like vague, middle-class white people complaining books mm-hmm. that everyone says are classics and they really shouldn't be like get them out of here well not get them out of here like i mean if, if jane austen is how you figured out romance <laughs> i mean i'm sorry but more power to you but like there are so many black writers that we just don't read or pay attention to there's so many queer writers that no one has paid attention to There are so many Asian writers that no one pays attention to. I just wish that we would diversify these stories. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, I could look back and maybe one black writer, but yeah, I took um, a lot of Pan-African in college. And I, Mm -hmm. uh, so I did like Harlem Renaissance classes. And then I did like a queer writing class, like Mm -hmm. three about those. But again, that's college. It's something that you have to be privileged to be able to go to. Right. Education. And even just have that available, because I know my university didn't offer anything like that. I also went to a private Catholic school. Oh, yeah. I don't think they would have had the the queer writing class. I mean, (laughs) maybe. I feel like they would just so they can't be called homophobic, but I don't think it would be taught well. Oh, it'd be like the um, slavery classes you had. Right. It's like, and here's the noble queer. They're only sometimes a sodomite. It's like, eh. So um, what do you have going on that people can check out right now, be on the lookout for, maybe in like September coming months later this fall? Uh, sure. So I actually do two podcasts. I do The Yowie Shelf, which is about boys' love and yowie. Um, and I still do Unfortunately Required Reading because I will sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> uh, you can check out my blog, amandaactually.wordpress.com, uh, for lots of hot takey media stuff. Um, I just published a post about male gaze. Um, which is male gaze is a trip. Reading that, and I, I need to like digest it more because I was like, wait, what is this? So, right, male gaze is something that I feel like everyone has a loose idea of, but until you like really dive in, it's like, oh, that's what it is. Um, we're actually going to talk about NPC gaze uh, in my next post. I'm excited about that one. So those are the places that you can find me in Build Hype. Uh, the blog is a great like catch-all place. Anywhere else we can find you online, or should we just head to the blog? Yeah, head to the blog. It has everything you need. <laughs> All right, Amanda. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about your Marvel crush. And 
so many other things. And everyone, you can find all of Amanda's information in the description below. And until next time, keep crushing it.